Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It's November 9th and you're listening to episode 21 of Under the Bleachers. This week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we'll be discussing the Lesbian Bar Project. For our sports topic this week, we'll do a quick recap of 2020 sports so far. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll be discussing the recent NCAA Board of Governors meeting. After that, we're going to share our interview with D.C. area athlete and commissioner of the National Gay Flag Football League, Thurman Williams. There's no Team D.C. update this week because all events are on hold due to COVID. But before we get into our topics, we are going to first take a minute to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. It has been an incredibly difficult four years with Donald Trump in the White House, and our long national nightmare is finally nearing its end. As of this recording, votes are still being counted and legal challenges are still expected. But barring some catastrophe, we all know the truth. We did it. We beat Donald Trump and Joe Biden will be our next president. But there is no time to rest. Control of the Senate is still up for grabs as it looks like it will come down to two runoff elections in Georgia in January. So we need to get people registered and get out the vote. And then after January, we start the real work, pressing the newly elected president and Congress to pass bold progressive legislation to move us toward a more perfect union with equality and justice for all Americans. Gabe and I both worked very hard in the past election. I personally can say that I am tired, but inspired. I am not ready to quit yet. I want to thank everyone who donated, volunteered, and participated in any way in the election. And I want to take a minute to recognize the badass that is Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams was denied the state house in Georgia just two years ago when she was defeated in her run for governor, not by the people, but by voter suppression. And she took that defeat and used it as fuel to run a massive organizing campaign to to register voters in Georgia and across the country and to fight all manner of voter suppression tactics. Stacey Abrams deserves a gold medal, a Nobel Peace Prize, and an EGOT. And I want to kiss her. We will have more to say about the election because, as I said, it's not quite over. And we will have more to say about politics and pressuring our lawmakers, too, because the fight for justice is far from over. But today is a good day, and we deserve a minute to smile and rest. Tomorrow, we start fighting again. Gabe, anything you want to say about the election real quick before we move into our weekly topics? Uh, I'm just happy that uh, it's almost over. (laughs) (laughs) Officially December 14th, but (laughs) it's over for now. Uh, And yeah, just the insane amount of energy and happiness that we're hearing in the streets right now. Uh, side note, we're recording this on Saturday and DC is still going crazy with people honking. The world is going crazy. I saw that the French president tweeted congratulations to America a couple minutes ago. <laughs> I think he 
said something like you're free now or something like the world Congrats. is celebrating and for good reason man good freaking reason i, I yeah yeah and even like uh if you go I, I was looking at the victory fund or the lgbtq victory fund website to see how many lgbtq plus members of our community were elected you know mayors the mayor of san diego we have sheriffs we have uh, i think our first is it African-American and Afro-Latino congressman that got elected yes. in New York? We have people all over, you know, representing our community in the state house and in local uh, government. So, yeah, congrats to all of them. And uh, congrats to our new president-elect and vice president-elect. And, and like I said, we're going to have a lot more to talk about. I mean, not everything uh, went the way we wanted it um, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or however long this election day is gonna <laughs> continue. But this election we, season, this election at the week. end of the day, we we uh, we achieved the most important piece of the puzzle, which is getting Donald Trump out of the White House. If we hadn't successfully taken back the White House, there wouldn't be anywhere else to go from there. So now we still have places we need to go. We still have work to do, but we we did the most important part, and man, it feels good. Laura and I will keep bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on your favorite podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend. Okay, let's get started. Here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. All right, my topic in the world of all things queer this week is the Lesbian Bar Project. In the late 1980s, there were over 200 lesbian bars in the United States. Now, after years of closures and the impact of COVID, that number has been drastically reduced. But as we discussed last week, lesbians get shit done. So Erica Rose and Alina Street are on it. They have started the Lesbian Bar Project. As part of the project, they have extensively researched existing lesbian bars and have so far been able to identify only 15 remaining lesbian bars in the entire country. They're still looking for a few others that may exist in smaller towns, but needless to say, the number is staggeringly low. The Lesbian Bar Project is in the midst of a 30-day online campaign to bring awareness and support to the remaining lesbian bars across the country. In partnership with both the nonprofit arts service organization Fractured Atlas and alcohol brand Jägermeister, the campaign offers viewers a chance to see all 15 bars through photographs from inside learn more about the establishments, and read direct interviews from the bar owners themselves. At the Lesbian Bar Project's website, lesbianbarproject.com, you can learn about the bars and donate directly to the fundraiser. The fundraiser is ongoing until November 26th, and all of the money raised will be split evenly among the lesbian bars. The campaign launched a PSA video narrated by actor and comedian Leah Delaria, who is known, among other things, for her role as Big Boo on Orange is the New Black, and co-directed by Erica Rose and Alina Street. The PSA video features archival footage from queer spaces past and present. The video highlights the vibrancy and importance of our lesbian bars while honoring some of the more notable establishments throughout history. The 15 participating bars are Washington, D.C.'s A League of Her Own, Denver's Blush and Blue, New York City's Cubbyhole and Henrietta Hudson's, Mobile, Alabama's Hers, Brooklyn's Ginger's, San Diego's Gossip Grill, Nashville's Lipstick Lounge, 
Atlanta's My Sister's Room, Houston's Pearl Bar, Columbus's Slammers, Philadelphia's Toasted Walnut, Milwaukee's Walker's Pint, and Seattle's Wild Rose. Dallas's Sue Ellen's is also technically a participating bar, though they have opted out of receiving any donations to allow for the support to go to other businesses. The campaign hopes to introduce a documentary series on the history of lesbian bars in the United States and their impact sometime in the future. So, Gabe, have you been to A League of Their Own or any of the other uh, lesbian bars that still exist today? Uh, that exist today? Yes. So I've been to A League of Their Own. Um many times uh also i remember phase when i first moved in i remember or to dc i remember going to phase one when it was yeah. uh r.i.p phase yeah and it was actually a lot of fun i forgot where, where it was on a well so phase one was up um what do they call barracks row they call it that, yeah i was yeah. there I, I went when it was there yeah, yeah well, was- it was always there. They just they had opened a second location down but- near P Street and that which they call I think they called phase two. But <laughs> <no>. <laughs> but phase one for a long time had been up there in Barracks Row. But R.I.P. <laughs> phase, it didn't survive. Wasn't that at the time that was the oldest gay or lesbian bar in yep. the U.S.? I yep, think? that's right. And yeah, that bar was great, although. <laughs> it was dingy but it was a great bar <laughs> that's what made it fun <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i remember for the longest time there was a hole in the floor in the bathroom though and i was like <laughs> i feel like guys we're really pushing it here i'm not <laughs> even sure how if this like passes health codes but yeah no i definitely miss phase um and you know i'm so happy that a league of their own exists and you know we've we actually had i think our very first episode we shared our interview with joe mcdaniel who's the general manager and bartender at a league of her own um so everybody can go back and listen to that it was a really cool interview joe is awesome a league of her own is awesome um my favorite bar on this list that i've been to is ginger's which is a bar on brooklyn in brooklyn on the corner of fifth street and fifth Avenue. I encourage everybody to check that out the next time they're in Brooklyn. It's super fun. Um, but you know, it's really sad, uh, that there are so few lesbian bars left, you know, lesbian bars are uniquely, I think important. Gay bars are important. It's important to have safe spaces for the LGBT community, but lesbian bars are uniquely important because they, um, offer a safe space, particularly for people whose gender identity is sometimes even puts them in an even more vulnerable position than other people in the LGBTQ community. Lesbian bars are often very welcoming spaces for um, female presenting LGBT people as well as trans men who don't necessarily always feel safe in um, gay bars, frankly. So it's just, it's really disappointing to see um, how few lesbian bars have survived and it's exciting to see a group of people get together and try to hopefully support them and maybe um with if support grows and attention on this is focused maybe um some more lesbian bars can open up we'll see yeah i'm interested to see when the word gets out uh i'm thinking of i used to live in san antonio and there were a couple lesbian bars there, but I know some of them weren't branded as a lesbian bar. It was a gay bar, but everyone knew, okay, that's that's the lesbian bar on the strip because San Antonio has one street where the majority of the bars are. 
but yeah, I was thinking like uh, this one bar called Sparky's where you walk in and it's predominantly women that are everywhere. And it's just like, yeah, this is a lesbian bar. It's not marketed. It's just a, you know, a normal gay bar or whatever. But I'm interested to see um, if they start finding little bars here and there, especially from like small towns and places that aren't, you know, yeah, lesbian, so marketed as lesbian or gay bars. But if you, you go there's still to those their... safe spaces in those places. Yeah, if you go to the Lesbian Bar Project website, they actually mention on there that um, they are they've been contacted by and they're looking out, uh, looking into a couple of other places that might um, get added to the project. So that might be one of them. I don't know. But yeah, I I mean, you know, obviously it's imperfect. It's not like we all register somewhere. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it's also it's just true. I mean, I know from being in New York how many lesbian spaces we had not that long ago, just, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Well, I guess it's getting longer and longer ago now. But, you know, they're down to just three places that identify as lesbian locations in New York, two in the city and one in Brooklyn. And that's crazy. Um, And, you know, phase one as we talked about a little bit before was the oldest lesbian bar in the country and it didn't survive so the problem is definitely out there i'm i'm hopeful that at 15 is uh it is an exaggeratingly small number but i don't know i don't think it's that much higher than that yeah I had, uh i was thinking too like i had a friend that was here probably last year definitely pre-covid who was like asking me uh, she was here from Texas and was like, hey, where's the lesbian bars? And I was she was naming all these bars. I was like, those are all gone. Yeah. And then it kind of like we were just we we're like talking. I was like, wow, like, you know, there's a league of their own. And she she loved it. She went. But she's like, I really miss phase one. I missed. She named another bar. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're gone. Yeah, we're starting it, to close down our spaces. Yep. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. But, um, you know, D.C. is lucky. It's not that big of a city, but it still has a vibrant LGBT um social scene and a league of their own is a newer establishment um but thriving seems to be thriving so we are grateful for it but we definitely need more more spaces um and we support our spaces especially during covid yeah no i mean i've it's hard because a league of their own is quite small and it doesn't have its own outdoor space. So it's not one of the places that I've felt comfortable yet returning to. Um, I have, you know, donated some money to their employee fund and I donated to the lesbian bar project at lesbianbarproject.com. Um, so I'm trying to support them that way. I also, if anybody in the DC area knows a league of their own and wants to support them, one way you can do it is go to their website and they actually sell merchandise and they have some cool t-shirts and stuff you can buy. And some of that money goes to help support them. So, and they are doing their best to um, do some socially distant service and they um, their, their partner bar pitchers, which is, you know, the upstairs of the same building has dedicated one of pitchers patios to be an outdoor space for a league of their own. So there is some opportunity there. Um, sorry. The name of the bar is actually a league of her own. I always do that and call it a league of their own because of the movie. <laughs> um, and when I'm talking about the bar, I usually call it a loho. So it's hard, but, but yeah, it's a loho. It's a league of her own. Um, but yeah, no, I encourage everybody to the extent that they're comfortable to go out and, 
find a way to support um, a league of our own here in DC and wherever you are, if there's a lesbian space, go support it. Um, you know, one of the things we talked to Joe about way back in episode one or two, whichever that was, um, was how for the longest time, you know, instead of having lesbian spaces, there are a lot of places, a lot of towns, a lot of cities have, you know, gay bars that'll dedicate like one night a month or, you know, something like that to be ladies night and that's nice and that's something but it is it makes so much of a difference to have you know your own dedicated space than to just be like taking up space in someone else's space even if you're invited it's just there's something about that but more importantly when you go to these places where they just do it once a month it's always a certain party right and that's great. And sometimes you want to have a party, but other times you want to be able to just like sit at a bar, have a drink and chat with a friend. And you, and you just need like the space for that too. And that's yeah, what you, you really are missing out on when you don't have um, a lesbian space itself. You want your local space. You want your local hangout where you can, you know, go after work, go before dinner, just go somewhere, have a beer, have a drink, cocktail, meet some people, you know, go by yourself. Who cares if you're bored? Right. And just, you know, feel comfortable and feel like it's your space. Absolutely. So go to lesbianbarproject.com, check out um, the pictures and the interviews and all the cool information they have to see, learn a little bit about these 15 bars that do exist. Drop a donation if you can. Um, and if you're out there and you've got the money to open up a lesbian bar, let us know. <laughs> we will definitely support you when we can. <laughs> All right. So what's up in the world of sports? All right. Sports. I got to be honest. I have not watched a lot of sports this year <laughs> between COVID and the election. Sports have really just not been registering for me. It also helps that the Mets and Giants are both terrible at what they do. They're just so terrible. I decided this week that for people like me, <laughs> instead of a sports topic, I'm just going to try to catch us all up on what we have missed. So here we go. I, I, I looked back into the last couple of months and this is what I thought I should share. In June, Tis the Law won the Belmont Stakes. In July, it looked like there were some people who did some car racing, played darts <laughs> and something called snooker. In August, Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship and there were also a lot more car races. In September, Takuma Sato won the Indy 500 an athlete from the UAE won the Tour de France. Dominic Thiem and Naomi Osaka won the U.S. Open, uh, the tennis version. And the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. In October, the L.A. Lakers won the NBA championship. The L.A. Dodgers won the World Series. The Seattle Storm won the WNBA championship. College football is happening right now. Clemson is currently ranked the number one team in the country, but this weekend features lots of huge matchups that will have an impact on the college football playoffs. NFL football is also happening right now. The Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Tennessee Titans are currently winning their divisions in the AFC. The Seattle Seahawks, Green Bay Packers, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers are currently winning their divisions in the NFC. And the Philadelphia Eagles, with a three and four record, are sitting at the top of whatever you want to call the NFC East. <laughs> and COVID-19 is still beating America at life. This week, the United States passed 9.6 million confirmed cases and 234,000 fatalities. 
This week, 20 states had their highest daily counts of new cases since the pandemic started, and we had multiple days in a row of 1,000 deaths per day. It's not just here in America, as we are also seeing rising cases in Europe and other parts of the world as well, but if we're being honest, we have never really gotten a handle on it here in the U.S. at all. As we stare down the barrel of a long, cold winter with rising cases of COVID-19, the situation looks fairly bleak. So, Gabe, now that I've caught you up on what's going on in the world of sports, have you been watching any sports? I've been trying to watch sports. It's been uh, very interesting. This this past week's been really hard. Uh, I'm glad the NBA is coming back in, what, like next month? No, December. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, next month. They, they finished <laughs> like a day ago, and they're coming back next month. It's crazy. They're coming but, back, which know. is yeah, but it, were, it's awesome. Know, like the season usually would have started by now. So I guess, I mean, I, I didn't read that whole story. Are they making them go back to the bubble? They're like, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Cause right now they're, they're figuring out salaries and it's going to be another shortened season. It's so wild though. Like those guys have been quarantined in a bubble. Like they've been out for like three weeks. <laughs> they're going to get shipped. Surprise. Out. Go back. Uh, uh, I guess. I don't know. I, now I they feel how hockey there. feels because hockey you win and then you start again. Yeah, right. I watched <laughs> a couple of baseball games when baseball first started and and it was just like surreal and it didn't make any sense to me and then all of a sudden it was the World Series and I didn't know what was happening. I just I haven't gotten into it at all this year. And I did, you know, I stuck in this COVID thing because I wanted to remind I just, you know, that's part of the reason why I just can't get my head around sports. It's like I'm grateful, I guess, for the opportunity to have a distraction from all the weirdness and all the everything that's going on with the pandemic. But, you know, we we are at a really scary point right now with this pandemic. And I really question if having people participating in sports is the wisest choice that we as a country could be making. Um. But it is what it is. There has been some, you know, high points of the year for uh, sports, for some sports fan. I mean, I guess the people in L.A. are probably feeling pretty good. They had the Lakers and the Dodgers back to back. So that's exciting for them. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't really know what else to say about it. It's not I'm a sports fan. I love sports. I haven't been able to get into it this year. I'm not going to judge anybody else if they are. Um, I mean, the Masters start um, next week. What's that? The Masters. Oh, all oh. right. Yeah, <laughs> I know what the Masters is. I just, I'm not sure. I'm. That's not going to be the thing that draws me in. Hey, well, I, mean, I told I, you. Or we're I talking don't about. mind watching golf on TV once in a while, but like, <laughs> I'm not watching sports. The Masters is not going to be the thing that draws me to it. <laughs> I'm a whatchamacallit. I have been watching a lot of of tennis. Okay. Uh, because one of my friends loves tennis and every time we like he's always watching tennis. Um, I am going to my first, I think we we're talking about this before. I'm going to my first live sports event tomorrow. Oh. I'm going to a polo match. Oh yeah. What where are you going to this polo match? The congressional polo, was it polo club? Yeah, I didn't know they were playing polo right In now. Polo? Yeah, they're playing polo. So I was supposed to go. I was all mad because it was supposed to be a Halloween event and I had my costume ready. I was very excited because I was going to actually wear a costume because we're going to be outside and it was canceled because of rain. Ah, So now I'm debating, should I wear a hat tomorrow? Should I wear a fascinator? 
You, you mean, were talking about stomping these divot things. Yeah, I'm like, what I was going to say, just wear proper shoes to stomp the divots. That's the most important part. Uh, a fascinator, if you have one. Very pretty I, woman, I mean, just out there stomping divots. <laughs> do you have a fascinator? I do enjoy. I have five. I really like fascinators. <laughs> I have five. Do I have a fascinator? Well, I don't what have color? one because I think I have a huge head and they would look ridiculous on me. But I always, <laughs> I really like the idea of them and I always like them when other people wear them. So I thoroughly encourage a fascinator and some sensible shoes. To stop divots. Correct. Uh, I hope you have a good time, Gabe. I, you know, it's supposed to be a lovely day tomorrow. I'm going with a bunch of ruggers, so it should be fun. All right. That sounds like some trouble, but also <laughs> fun. Well, those are the kind of outdoor sports that we need to try to take advantage of. Wear your mask, stay six feet apart. Um, I don't know. I There's going to be more sports. I'm probably going to watch the Super Bowl. Like, I don't know. We'll see. I'll watch some sports before this year is over, but I want to get this pandemic under control and I want to be able to be in person at a baseball game next summer. Don't With screw this up. Don't screw this up for me, people. We need beer and baseball and we need to be live. Yeah, I want to sit outside, watch baseball. I want to hear the crack of the bat. I want it all. I want freaking peanuts thrown to me from a guy in the aisle. I want the whole thing. So let's try to get this shit under control, people. I like I'm seeing on the news the pictures of all the celebrations and all the cities and I'm seeing a lot of masks, but I'm also seeing people really close to each other yelling and screaming and I, it's making me like really nervous. There yet. Yeah, I'm like, I'm super excited too that we uh, beat Donald Trump and I'm totally on board if anybody wants to figure out how we get a fleet of U-Hauls to just pack out, park themselves outside of the White House for the next 10 weeks. Uh, and beep at him every time he uh, comes to the window. But I'm really, <laughs> nervous. I'm really nervous about all the celebrating and how close everybody is together and uh, screaming and kissing on each other because it's an airborne virus out there. Stay safe, everybody. That's all I'm going to say. Stay safe. All right. So what do we have on the intersection of sports and queer? All right. Finally, for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, let's talk about the NCAA. Last week, the NCAA Board of Governors met and on the agenda once again was the issue of transgender inclusion. Specifically, the Board of Governors discussed the outcome of a recent gender identity summit that the NCAA held. The summit sought feedback about creating a framework for potentially developing policy on gender identity and student athlete participation. The focus was on inclusion, fairness, student athlete well-being, health, and safety. More than 60 people attended. Participants included university presidents, athletic directors, conference representatives, athletic trainers, team physicians, mental health professionals, faculty athletics representatives, cisgender student athletes, and cisgender and non-binary coaches. There were also external industry and subject matter experts on collegiate athletics, the broader higher education community, medicine, science, and diversity, equality, and inclusion. 
Two key components of the summit were participant discussions around the glaring lack of research and available data related to transgender and non-binary athletes and feedback from current and former transgender and non-binary student athletes who shared the extreme barriers and challenges they have experienced in college athletics. The NCAA hopes that the summit will help change minds and educate participants as the NCAA continues to look at future updates to the NCAA transgender student athlete participation policy. And the Board of Governors also discussed Idaho's HB 500, a law we talked about back in July, which prohibits a student assigned male at birth from participating in female athletics teams sponsored by public schools, colleges, and universities in Idaho. Boise, Idaho is set to host games in the first round of this year's NCAA March Madness Tournament, and opponents of HB 500 have called on the NCAA to cancel any events in Idaho. At the Board of Governors meeting, the board noted its belief that it is premature to act, but confirmed its position that the law is harmful to transgender student-athletes and is counter to the NCAA's core values of inclusivity, respect, and equitable treatment of all individuals. The board agreed to, quote, continue to monitor the potential impact of this law on the Division I men's basketball events scheduled for Boise in March. So, Gabe, what do you think about the NCAA's efforts on the gender inclusivity front? Uh, I commend them a little for actually starting the conversation and actually bringing some trans athletes in to talk about their experiences, talk about what they did. I'm, I'm a firm believer of first, let's get people together in one room and actually having a conversation about this and starting you know, to talk about the different issues and seeing both sides from what the argument is and actually educating each other about different experiences and what's going on. So I give them props for at least doing that. Um, and also you know, talking about the, what we talked about before with what's going on in Idaho. Um, so I'm really interested to see if one, okay, great. They had the conversation, but do they actually act on what they talked about and what they heard? Or do they just say, okay, great. We had the conversation. We still want to do this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to say, I reading about the um, gender summit that they had, I was really impressed and encouraged. It looked like they put a lot of thought into it. They invited a lot of people from a lot of different areas. It's always important to bring real people in to tell their real life stories, including the actual trans and non-binary athletes in the conversation to talk about what their actual experience has been. It, it's the humanity of it that helps to make the connections and help pe open people's minds. So I was very impressed with what they were doing with the Gender Summit, we'll see what the outcome is going to be, but I think that's moving in the right direction. Yeah, on the, definitely. On the Idaho front, they should have just said, fuck you, Idaho, we're not having the games there, right? Like, I think they're just buying time because they probably think there's a good chance the games are going to get canceled anyway, and they're never going to have to take a position. Don't have to worry about it. So, yes. Um, and I think that's a little bit mealy-mouthed and wishy-washy, but... I will say this. I think I remember correctly that a couple years ago they did pull some NCAA events out of North Carolina when North Carolina had their bad trans laws. Also, I have read that there are some things going on in Idaho where this law has been um, 
there's been some court activity and I think the impact of the law has been put on hold. So it hasn't gone into effect yet. So that's another reason why they're probably holding their powder. But I think if we are lucky enough to have the March Madness in person this year, whether or not the law is in effect or not, as long as it's still on the books, the NCAA should in no uncertain terms say no we're not going there. We are not supporting. We're not going to have events where NCAA athletic programs participate in any city that has laws that discriminate against our student athletes. They should be very clear about that. There should be not, they should not be um, tiptoeing around that at all. That's my, that's my take on it. So again, we say, fuck you, Idaho. And your Smurf turf is stupid. (laughs) A hundred percent. 100%. Murph turf. (laughs) (laughs) It could be worse. It could be like North Dakota. They elected a dead guy on Tuesday. Yeah, he died of COVID. It's the... (laughs) It's astounding. It's it, it's just too much. But <laughs> you know what? I can't. Like today and tomorrow are days where I'm only thinking about the positive parts of politics. Uh, Joe Biden's going to speak here in a couple of hours. We're going to get to see fireworks and a light show. So, you know, um, that was president elect Joe Biden. Is that not what I said? No, <laughs> what I meant. it's no. definitely what I meant. <laughs> Mr. President. Uh, yeah. And so. Vice President elect. That's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of Things Queer, Things Sports, and the Things at the Intersection of Sports and Queer. We're going to take a quick break while Laura unpacks her champagne. And when we come back, we're going to share our interview with DC area athlete and commissioner of the National Gay Flag Football League, Thurman Williams. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Thurman Williams. Uh, Thurman is currently the commissioner of the National Gay Flag Football League and was elected to the position in 2017. Previously, he was appointed to the national board in 2010 and served in 2013. In 2004, Thurman served as a chair of the Gay Bull Four in Atlanta and was elected to the NGFFL Hall of Fame in 2011. So, hey Thurman, how are you doing this evening? I am fantastic, thank you. Uh, so first off, how did you get involved playing flag football? So, I'll, I'll take you back to 2004 and my partner at the time who knew I was an avid football fan showed me a flyer that says there was a gay flag football league that was starting and there was a meetup in the park. I went uh, with a couple of friends and the next thing you know, we were in San Diego at the, uh, I forget what, a surf and turf I wanna say. And uh, we were, uh, next thing I know we were back in Atlanta, planning to form a league and to host a gay ball. What, uh, what year was the first gay ball? Do you know? 2002. Okay, so there was a gay ball around when you got started, just not a team in Atlanta ready to play it. That is correct. So you had, I think there were about four teams. It was LA, I want to say Boston, uh, maybe New York. I should know my history, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it, was, it was Chicago, so a very, very small group. Um, there were four teams, basically, and they played twice. I think a couple of years they played two years. So, you know, the official Gabo, uh, you know, Atlanta was one of those that uh, really sort of took it. I want to take credit. We took it to the next level. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was sort of in its infancy, and today it's something magical. Awesome. So tell us, tell me about the Gay Bowl today. How many teams play in the Gay Bowl nowadays? 
Um, so the tournament today uh, has changed over the years. So what was originally in Atlanta, I always use it as a comparison. I'll go back to 2004, we were hosting, there were eight teams, right? And if you go today, if you fast forward till today, we have over 50 teams, right? We have an A, a B, a C division, and we have a women's plus division. And so uh, in the original days, there was just an open division. There was an A, B, C. And so it's grown enormously since uh, 2002. So that in itself is really a proud accomplishment of, of the folks today, but also the folks from the past. Awesome, yeah. I'm trying to think, think back to like my Gable games or days because I played in two. I did Houston and uh, Denver. I remember Houston was insane because we were like a tiny little uh, team for San Antonio that was going to our first kind of major tournament. So uh, but yeah. 2011, 2011. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of amazing to see how amazing and how big Gable has turned out over the years. Yeah. Um, so it was your first time. So that that is... That is the experience, right, that is very meaningful to us. So we, we put a lot of time and energy into that first experience because it represents an opportunity not for um, the NGFFL, but it represents an opportunity for the league itself because you go back, you're motivated, excited, you want to keep playing, then you tell two friends who tell two friends, and the next thing you know, um, you're adding value to the league and sort of you're building upon the mission of, that safe place we want people to come, no matter your skill set or talents, but to feel warm and welcome and part of the community. Yeah, I mean, I still have friends in, from Canada, friends in New York, friends in LA, people that I met in Houston playing my first gay game, or my first gay ball, um, which is still awesome. It's kind of awesome to still have those connections. Absolutely. It is. Uh, what's magical about it, and I always talk about this experience with with the LGBTQ plus community and sports in general, uh, it becomes that place where security exists. It's that place where you are sort of, there's this notion of well-being. There's this notion of I have a safe place. So think about it in terms of myself, who was in Atlanta for so many years, moved to DC. Instantly I have family, friends, a place to go, right? When so many times when you, sort of transition from a, one city to the next. You feel alone if you're not traveling with your partner, your spouse, your husband, your wife. And, and you're just like trying to navigate that new city. And the great thing about our community is no matter where I go, in most cases, there's a flag football community. And as soon as I hit DC, that was the first thing I did. I had friends from the prior Gables, so I felt at home. And I think that's, that's what's magical to me about it. How long have women been participating in the NGFFL? 2010. So okay. love to Katrina from Denver, who was passionate. Uh, when we first went, to, I went, actually, it might be 2011. I get a, so pardon my years of uh, confusion, but when we went to Denver for the Gay Bowl, Denver, who has always been a co-ed lead, really pushed the board to say, this is the time to include women. And, and at the time, there was a lot of debate because we weren't quite sure how to do that, right? So how do you orchestrate and coordinate a tournament that has predominantly been male and now incorporate women? And there was really only one league that had women players. And so uh, we, we found a way to do it. And so Molly Lenore, Molly Lehman, Katrina helped sort of, sort of 
forged the way for us to include women. And, and thank goodness today we have, and we made uh, under my leadership, a permanent position for women on the board. And we also have taken um, the opportunity through Leslie Goldstein, who leads our women's uh, liaison. She has taken it and really uh, put an emphasis on how do we include, how do we drive engagement and participation. And last year in New York, we saw largest uh, group of women uh, players, women plus division that we've had. So year over year, we continue to see growth. So we're very, very excited about what that means. And our first head female ref. So we've been really, thanks to DC as well for their efforts to say, you guys need to step it up. Uh, there are things that we think could be improved. And so we, we took a lot of that to heart. And Leslie has been critical to driving our success with women's engagement. Now, how important, how important is it for you to have an LGBTQ plus league, football league? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's enormously important, right? Um, uh, I, I sort of tried to hit on it early when I talked about it's important for one's well-being, their spirit, and their safety, right? So well-being for many, if you're looking for a purpose, a place to fit in, or to be around folks like yourself with similar interests, that's healthy. Um, it, it's good for the spirit, right? Because sometimes life, life, as I said, invokes changes and you find yourself moving from a city or you're divorced. I've done both, right? Uh, and so your spirit needs a jolt. You need a jolt. And it's a great opportunity for the community to step up and it's a great place to go. And then I said, uh, lastly, as you think about your own sort of uh, your own self, whether you're questioning yourself, where you fit in, you know, some may be even at suicide, right? At, the, at this notion of I'm at a place where I'm depressed and, and suicide is an option. This, and I've heard the stories, the LGBTQ plus community has been fantastic, especially around sports to give people a place to feel safe. And I've, I've heard the stories. I've been on the sidelines where people have told me this has changed my life. This got me off the couch. It took me out of depression. I was thinking about suicide. So when I hear those stories, it is about the football, but man, the impact from, from those stories, I'm all in, all in. So it's, it's, it's very important. I think uh, we should play a role in, in, in really talking about it. That's why I say compete, connect, unite, right? If you want to compete, fantastic. If you want to connect and meet people and just get yourself off the couch and, and sort of experimenting uh, in places and spaces outside of the bar, this is a place. If you want to unite for a greater good and cause, we welcome that as well. So that's that's how important I really think it is. No, I totally agree. Um, I was just going to say, you know, when I from when I first moved to D.C., that was one of the first things I did. I was coming from Texas, and I knew that D.C. had a league because they had just killed us in Gable, <laughs> you know, right before. Yeah, so I was just like, you know what? Yeah, and that's one of the first things I did was looked up, and there's a league, and yeah, I can – and say, hey, a lot of my friends that I still have today, I made through the football league. All right, so the NGFFL was the subject of a documentary in 2015 and also um, an NFL film short in 2019. So how did that media coverage um, affect the league? Well, I, I, would, I would say I'd, I'd say the three C's. I'm always in groups of threes, if you notice. Confidence, credibility, and courage. So think about confidence in the sense that we – we heard and achieved uh, something that we put our minds to. 
we really felt that one of our, our sort of goals or vision was to, to really find credibility in the sponsorship. And we felt that the NFL was an ideal sort of partner for us, given their shift in values toward the LGBTQ plus community. So we, want, we wanted to shoot for the stars, right? Our moonshot was we want an NFL partnership. So that was the first thing, there's confidence. So there's confidence in the sense that uh, we honestly believe that we could do anything we want. There's credibility in the sense that the league was now recognized by one of the, the largest sports organizations in the world, right? America's sport. And so uh, the, the idea that we would gain their level of trust and a partnership with them meant everything. So it gave us credibility. So now we have that credibility uh, to now take that role and purpose and mission of the NGFL uh, to, to other sponsors and partners that think there's a value connection. And then it's courage, right? It's, it's the courage to continue to tell our story about uh, the uniqueness of the LGBTQ plus community uh, players and this myth around gay athletes and sports. So all those things are, are really important. So it, it's, it's had, it will have a lasting effect. Um, our hope is that this will continue uh, to be an annual sponsorship and we feel very confident that it will be. And this will also allow us to bring in additional sponsors. Um, so that would be my response, right? Confidence, courage, and credibility. Yeah, well, it's a heck of a platform for sure. <laughs> Hey, it's all about, you know, and one of the things that we really put an emphasis on was giving back. And I've always said, I, I believe that the prosperity of the league will, will be equivalent to the level of give back that we provide. So I don't think you can ever prosper if you're not giving back. And so that's been one of the platforms for me. It's, it's the reason as commissioner, I uh, I took the commissioner's cup, which my predecessor before me used to sort of honor the athletes. And I, I, I made that about giving back. So every year I write a personal check. It's not the league's check. It's a personal check. And, and it, it's to the, the league that I say gives back more than they take. And so that is everything to me. And I, I feel like if we're not giving back, then um, there's no way we can continue to grow. There's no way sponsors will come on board there's no way that we can uh, serve the, the community in which we are honored to be a part of. For yourself then, are there any um, sort of personal skills or traits that you see in yourself that you think developed um, for you through playing sports or, or being on a team? Yeah, I mean, it, it's collaboration, right? You, you have to be able to collaborate, especially in DC, right? You have a, a captain and a quarterback. I mean, you gotta get along, you know? <laughs> I have stories, and then, <laughs> and then, and then you need teamwork, right? You need to be able to. I always say teamwork makes the dream work. So you need to be able to sort of motivate um, and, and and be a leader in the sense that you sort of move people toward teamwork. You need perseverance, right? Uh, you're in the game. You know, if you're on Jeremy's team, you probably are winning. If you're not on Jeremy's team, uh, I'm just giving Jeremy some love because he loves to be talked about. Uh, <laughs> if you're losing, right, you know, I could name a few people, but I won't, I won't do that. So you, you need a little perseverance. You need to be able to push through. And so um, I, I think those are just a few that uh, I sort of bring to life. Cool. And do you have any advice for anyone who is thinking about starting uh, up playing flag football? Yeah. I mean, if I, I would just say, 
listen, learn, write, have fun, and, and, and all that you do is you think about competing, you know. Some will take it seriously, so just understand that everyone's in a different place when they show up, right? Some are there to compete. You're going to hear me say this. Some are there to connect. Some are there to unite. And so just understand that everybody has a different purpose and, and, and mission and vision for why they are um, a part of the league. And I would just say enjoy it. I would say find a way to, you know, connect with people who are unique and different to yourself. Find a way to be part of the league and, and, and unite and be part of the community. So even if you're not playing that season, get your tail out there and go be part of some of the community service work that's been done. I did it. You know, I didn't play a season, but I knew it was important. Hotchkiss was saying, we got to get out there. We go. Right. So uh, just be part of it because no matter if you're playing, you're just going to a social event, hell go help plan the social events and then show up, please. Um, <laughs> those are the things that are important because it matters and you never know who, who you're impacting. So just uh, allow yourself to experience the full experience of being part of, of the league in the city and the community. Good advice. Um, Thurman, it was so nice to talk to you and I'm, I'm glad I got to meet you uh, virtually at least. Um, really grateful for you taking some time out of your day. Before we let you go, can you just tell us um, if anybody listening wants to get involved with NGFLL or learn more about you, where should they go? They can go to NGFFL.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social handles. So we are present and available. But I would say at the end of the day, go to the website. You'll see a list of our cities that will take you to their respective uh, websites. You will be able to reach out. You'll find contact information, but it, uh, we're there available. Browse about, we're about to make some really big changes. So that's coming soon, just a teaser. <laughs> um, you know, hey, find a league, go watch if you don't want to do anything right away and just observe, but uh, reach out uh, to a city and league near you. Great. All right. Well, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's an honor, and especially uh, as part of the D.C. family. So it, mean, it means a lot. So and Gabe was one of my teammates. So, you know, special, special place <laughs> in my heart. Go Smurfs. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you for, for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.